For those of you that don't know me, my name is Brenda. Uh, all my famous, all my people call me Mimi. And this is my daughter, Carol. Uh, we have a testimony this morning. Uh, I had a cousin, and I remember Debbie saying once that she had a friend that prayed her into church. And I had a cousin who prayed me back to Ohio from Florida because she came to visit and saw that I wasn't as happy as I should have been. So um, I was staying with Carol and her family until I could find an apartment. I said, uh, she had three kids and did home care for a couple. And I said, wow, Carol, you're really gonna have um, a lot of children to take to vacation Bible school. And uh, she said, mom, they don't do that in our church anymore. I said, oh, why not? She said, well, you know, there's the pastor dropped that program. There wasn't enough small children. So I called him up and um, I said, are you going to do it this year? And he said, no, no, we've, we probably dropped that permanently. And uh, then he added, well, you and Carol can do one in her backyard. You know, I hear that people are doing things like that these days. So I kind of laughed when I got off the phone. I said, what a way to get someone off the phone. But <laughs> I said, Carol, uh, I didn't want to do a vacation Bible school. I just wanted to go to one. And uh, that got her creative juices flowing. Well, if we had one, Mom, I could do this and this and invent this game. And she kept going on and on. And I was thinking all I could do is hand out flyers and a few cookies. I mean, I had the easy part. But uh, I said, Carol, are you forgetting we don't have the money? We don't have, you know, help. the help <laughs> or much time. But I did start to feel a burden for the children in that neighborhood. It was an inner city uh, neighborhood. And uh, Carol's house and about two others were nice homes. But in the back part of it, it was usually one parent, you know, in the home and maybe not even a car. And uh, I, I felt burdened for those kids not even knowing, not even having a place to come to church or anything. Now, there was a church that sat in the middle of that neighborhood. Uh, I'd been there seven years without a pastor. So none of those kids had ever even walked in that church. And um, so I really prayed about this. Uh, I had promised God that I would confer with him on any important decisions because my instincts were not working out. So um, now remind <laughs> remind you that every time I got her going, she would bring me down. No, it's not going to work. We ain't got the money. And then it would bring me down. And then she'd come back. Well, I found the money. You know. <laughs> so we're back and forth. In, we were this. tug of war. And then I knew I had to pray. So I said, Lord. We're willing to do something like this for these children, but we really need to know that you want us to do it, not because we just need a hobby. We really, and I need a sign from you, Lord. I need to know uh, through this sign that uh, it is your uh, idea for us. And I need a sign that would not be mistaken for a coincidence. See, I was starting to get a little demanding which is why you see I'm not married now. But <laughs> and, um, you know, 
two or three days went by, I didn't see any sign of anything. And so I thought, well, the Lord has set, told me that this is too big of a project for you two. And I was a little relieved. But um, I came home from work one night. I was working um, second shift, and everyone in the family was sleeping, and I went to my room. Just as I put my hand on the nightlight, I heard my name called. Uh, very clear, audible voice, very nice voice. I looked toward the hallway. I saw nothing. Uh, then I felt a breeze that came toward me. I had no idea what this was. And I'll admit, I had my hand on that light for some time. I did turn it finally off, and I, uh, my last thought was, wait till I tell Carol, because no one else is ever going to believe this. And? So, because she worked a different shift, we didn't see each other all the time, even though we lived together. Yeah. You know, you're crossing paths. And uh, I just happened to be sitting in the living room. Now, mind you, a lot of times I'm really bad about this, and at that time in my life, and I'd be like, yeah, I'll pray about that, but I didn't. And this time, because we were really struggling with this thought, I, I really got on my hands and knees, and I really said, Lord, I, I kind of want to do this, but I don't know if I want to do this. I need a sign. So I'm sitting in my living room, and my children are all asleep, um, and I heard my name. I heard my name come from the kitchen as a breeze, as a whisper. Not only did I hear it, I felt it. It was warm, and it made me go down. And it's so unbelievable, because we hear of all these things that are like so unbelievable out there. But I knew, and I thought, I gotta tell my mom, this is a <laughs> sign, we have to do this. This is, someone called our name, and we felt it. So I ran upstairs when she, I finally got a chance and I'm like, Mom, you're not going to believe this. I heard my name. We have to do this vacation Bible school. And when she said that, she started describing what happened to her and it started registering in my mind. Oh my gosh, that was a sign for the vacation Bible school. So I sat straight up in bed and I said, we need to get started. Get the posters. Get, I'm not arguing with this sign. Get the posters, you know, the flyers. And um, she said, well, we still don't have the money. I said, oh, the money will come, believe me. So um, two days later, my son was in boot camp, and uh, I got a letter from him, very nice letter, uh, thanking me for a lot of things that I had stood by him with. And... In that letter was um, a money order for all the money we needed. He said, Mom, um, I want to give my first paycheck to you. I won't be needing it here. And he had no idea we needed that money. So I took it in. I said, here's your money. Get started. And she did. So uh, Carol is so creative with games, you know, with uh, ways to teach children on how to give offering. Uh, I had very little to do, but I did run across uh, a lady that 
that handles that church, and I went over this to hang the poster, and she said, if it rains, here's my number, call me, you can have it here. So it rained several days, and we took it in, in the church, and it was so beautiful to see those children come into that church. And these children came with no shoes. A lot of them. A lot of them. They're yeah. very, very poor. So this was amazing for them. God's for sure. work. You know. There's only one family that stood out in my mind uh, when I was handing out flyers, and that Tony, my younger, uh, my oldest grandson now, but he went with me to all these houses. Uh, we walked up to this house, and there was a man, about 45, sitting on the porch, uh, cracking open a beer about 10 in the morning. He looked depressed. He looked at us very suspiciously. And I looked down at his two children playing in the dirt. And I said, you really have some beautiful children here. And he did. And then he looked down like he was studying them. And when he looked up, his whole demeanor had changed. His face, you know, was just like all the stress was gone. He smiled. And it's almost like he had a reason that he remembered that he had a reason to be proud. I'll never forget that. And he said, I do, don't I? I said, well, we have a program we'd like them to come to. And I gave him the flyers. And um, I said, you're welcome to come also if you'd like to sit in and watch them enjoy it. And he did. And he sat in the back pew, smiling the whole time. Uh, I knew God was just worked in his heart instantly through that. Uh, our pastor stopped by almost daily to see what was going on, and finally, um, he, he said, I need to put this back in our church next year. And he did. Yeah. And he recruited us for 10 years. years. <laughs> <laughs> we ran the Vacation Bible School um, on a very small, we, it was a very small church, and um, very low budget. So a lot of things were done uh, through handmade. Mm -hmm. um, our Not games either. were all done through handmade. Our, everything was in form. And believe it or not, me and my mom were a lot of the entertainment. We did MyMax. I was the bad guy. <laughs> I was the Played it well. <laughs> and um, I designed our shirts. Um, this was one of the first shirts. My this mother kept this for 30 years. <laughs> 30 years. This was our theme, Jesus Loves the Little Children, and Carol hand-drew and painted these little children. So everybody had here. their own shirts. Yeah. Um, it, but I don't want to give the praise to me no. at all, because, because of hearing our name and knowing that we had to do this, it brought open the church again, mm -hmm. and the children came from, and that's another inner city. So the children yeah. from there now came, plus the church. 91 to 107. In Many saved. Other, yeah. Um, then it opened up. We outreached to the women's battered shelter, and they bust the women in to help. Mm -hmm. And we also opened it up to the teenagers to come help because we needed more The help. street kings. They street were, teens. They were hanging out and looking in anyway, so we said, come in. We need your help. Which opened up, which led to I became the youth director, and I became the youth director for six years. I started with six kids. We had 45 by the time the church had closed. Yeah. So, and these were the kids from the neighborhood. So, um, 
I, one seed that God planted became a tree. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that it was the building. It wasn't the building. It was right. the backyard. It was the backyard of some poor people and that just said, we got to do this. Yeah. We got to listen. Our pastor retired, and uh, that brought me to, I think they were going to talk about selling the church, and that brought me to looking for another church, and I lived down the street, so I thought, well, I'll stop at this one first and make my way around townage. Yeah. I never got past this one. Uh, <laughs> I was debating about visiting other churches, and then uh, at the end of the morning, Charlie sang the song, it is no secret what God can do. Now, my mom taught me that song when I was about five, and it just brought back a lot of memories, and I had tears running down my cheeks, and I thought, well, I'll bring the grandkids next week and see what they think. Well, they were locked and loaded. They loved this church, uh, the people in it, the programs in it. They grew up here, took the stress off us, Pastor uh, Doug and Susan and everyone involved took them to the, uh, the IYCs. Yeah. Uh, Tony and Brad went to Tennessee. Demi went to uh, Texas. Um, Cody went to New Mexico and California. Um, those were just wonderful. It was wonderful growth for them. And uh, I went up to the winter retreat a couple times and the first time I saw my uh, grandson, Tony, raise his hand in a song, that was the most beautiful sight to me. And then when I saw them go forward, uh, when Pastor Doug's dad uh, preached that one weekend, I told him when he was here, I said, when I saw you up there and you came on that stage, I said to myself, what is a man of that age going to have in common with these teens? <laughs> he brought them to their knees, and three of them were my grandchildren, and I was so proud. I thought, wow, you know, it was just tremendous for me, even. But um, I was so thankful, thankful for this church. I've been thankful for this church yeah. all along. And uh, when they, Susan had the uh, uh, end zone, End zone was yeah. definitely where I End jumped zone. out of my shell because I'm kind of the quiet one. I let Mimi take the lead, and then I just go in in between. Um, but Susan came up and said, hey, you want to help with End Zone? And I was like, yes, I found something. It was, <laughs> it was awesome. I could actually be creative and work with the teens again, which I appreciate that you came to me. And I really appreciate the church. Um, for all the programs that they have, yes. because that's what we need to keep building that seed, yes. you know, to grow. Oh yeah, Demi did the volleyball. Brad did the uh, bocce, is it bocce ball? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there were so many volunteers. Uh, I was out there doing registration when a kid jumped out of the van. There was about five other ones in the van. He ran up to the door, looked all around, came back to the van, and he said. Well, it's a church, but it looks like fun. <laughs> and I was thinking, God's got plans for that one. <laughs> but, um, and then Pastor Doug asked me if I would give out flyers, you know, for donations. Mm -hmm. 
And I said, yes, I can admit now it was for selfish reasons. I needed friends. <laughs> I knew I'd be talking to a lot of people in the community. But when he stacked 60 packets on my uh, passenger seat, I almost fainted. I thought, wow, 60. But they had a conference to go to, so I thought, I better get started. And I really prayed, Lord, lead me to the, to the right people and give me the words to say to these people for these donations. Um, I, went, I went around the circle three times, and then I went on South Avenue to Marco's. There was the manager just leaning on the counter there. Now, the selling point, I didn't have to say hardly anything. That's unusual for me. But I did just pull this out of the packet with all the team's pictures that Pastor Doug, he did a beautiful packet. And she didn't even look up at me. She just kept looking at these teams. And then I slid uh, the pamphlet and I said, we need five nights of extra large pizzas. Which nights can you uh, contribute? She said, well, I'll do the first and I'll do the third. I said, thank you. I'm going to Domino's next. We had five nights to fill. So I'm standing in Domino's with, um, waiting for the manager. She calls me and she said, I talked to my general manager after you left. We're going to do all five nights. The Lord was giving me confidence and boosting me up. I was so proud of that. And uh, she said, my general manager said she doesn't have any teens, but she's going to bring her sisters because her sister needs the rest. And I heard that throughout, and I don't think I emphasized it enough at the time. This rippled over to so many people in the community that wanted to be worry-free about where their teens were. And uh, Rona from Delaney's, the manager and owner there, she said, when my daughter's at that program, that's the only time I know for sure that she is where she says she's going to be. And that's the only time that I am stress-free. I'll give you whatever you need. And I heard so many wonderful, wonderful compliments from the people donating because their mothers, their fathers, their grandparents, and those are stressful years. I appreciate all that this church has done for us, and I appreciate you being so patient to listen to Carol. Would you stand with us as we continue in our worship? We're going to sing out of him, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars and their horses above. Join with the nature and So the neat thing about uh, this anniversary or this uh, moment that we're celebrating is that I really didn't plan it. Um, other people did. Other people picked out the theme. They picked out a lot of kind of the direction that they wanted me to go, or at least the verse and uh, that I want to be teaching from this morning. And so here it is. We're going to jump right into Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 7 through verse 8. And I, I want to read this to you. As uh, we think about what we were doing today, it says this: Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. They actually didn't want; they didn't tell me this verse, but I think this is applicable here, and you'll see why when we conclude here. Think of all the good they have that has come from their lives, and follow the example of their faith. Then it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. And so what we're going to look at this morning, talk about, celebrate, is that God is the same today, or he's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. And so I want to share a little bit about yesterday as we think about 125 years. This congregation was started in 1986 by a lady named Sister Burdick. 18, I see, I'm not even like, yeah, I'm all thrown off here. Um, and as we think about how far back we want to go, I, I want to I, I show you uh, something. I want us to think about the church in a particular way here as we think back that far. Um, the first is as we think about God being the same, Jesus Christ actually in particular being the same yesterday as today, a lot of us will probably go, well, wait a second. Like, where was Jesus in creation? What is going on there? But Jesus was active in creation. Jesus was there in creation. Jesus was at work at the beginning in creation. We often think like what happened is that God created the world, every, like the fall of humanity, and that, oh, crap, God now needs like a backup plan, and Jesus Christ is the backup plan. But the truth is, is that God created the world with Jesus in mind. That God was not taken by surprise at our rebellion, and he wanted to be known through Jesus Christ. And so the origins of the world actually have its origins in Christ, because the cosmos and everything in this world exists for Jesus and is from Jesus. And um, God had a plan. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't shooting from the hip here. And so I, I want you to see Colossians 1.16, where we are told for... By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And so God has always been at work through Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ. And God has always wanted to be known through Jesus Christ. So God has always wanted to be known through the love that he has for us through Jesus and the redemption that he offers through Jesus. And the person of God himself wants to be known through Jesus' Jesus's work, Jesus' life, Jesus' ministry and who he is. And so God's activity is always through Jesus Christ. And I believe that this church has its origins in the work of God through Christ. I believe that all true churches do. That Jesus begins to do a work in someone or really in a people and begins to move them to gather to begin worshiping him and following him. And that is what happened in this place over 125 years ago with Sister Burdick in 1896, not 1996. Um, and this lady was called from Moundsville, West Virginia to move up here to Akron, Ohio. When she got up here, what she decided to do was to go door to door and ha hand out what would have been tracks. Some of you have seen these tracks. They're written uh, some of them are kind of crazy, but um, you know what I'm talking about. By the way, the last time I saw a track, do you know where it was placed? The bathroom. How did you know that? You go to the rec center too? You go to the rec center. I know you go to the rec center. It was, it was on the top of the urinal. Like there were tracks on the urinals. I don't recommend doing that. I don't, she didn't do that. She went door to door. She actually got a team of people and she was handing out gospel trumpet Tracks. Now, these tracks, these gospel trump trumpet tracks, basically kind of had new, two big ideas that went along with what would have been the gospel trumpet magazine that was 
basically, like if we're going to boil it down, if historians boil it down, had two kind of uh, primary messages here, but there's a, there's a lot more to it. So though you Church of God historians don't come after me after this, but these, these tracks in the Gospel Trumpet magazine itself, uh, basically we're talking about kind of these two things here at the beginning. Is that the, first, is that the true test of a minister was not whether or not they were, or the, two, the true test of a minister was whether or not they were called, gifted, and followed. It was not what many people had believed it should be or could be, which was simply education, denominational affiliation, or a special licensing. The magazine taught that pastors and leaders are called and commissioned first by God to ministry and then confirmed by actually having followers that would follow them and then bear fruit. And so one, the first thing it talked about is the type of leadership that they wanted was or was expected in the church was true and godly leadership, spirit-led leadership that was instituted or confirmed by people that would come and follow, and then they would bear fruit and follow God. So that's the second, then that gets us to the second thing as far as membership is concerned, or is, I guess it's, let me put it like this, the type of people then that would want to join this type of church is this, and it had to do with membership. Membership in the church was affirmed in people through a sincere confession of faith and would be evidenced then through practice. There was no formal membership in these congregations, such as a congregational vote, catechisms, or creedal affirmations. These churches were not worried about formal membership. Instead, this movement was more worried that people were mistaking their denominational affiliation, church attendance, for sincere faith and obedience in Christ. Membership then would be evidenced and measured rather more by the faith of the person in the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and then obedience to God's word and following Jesus than church attendance or any, any affirmation of any doctrinal practice. And so early on this movement, which would become the Church of God movement and these, what these tracts were trying to talk about, is it, it wasn't doctrinally heavy, although it wasn't absence of orthodoxy. But rather, what they were trying to get people to see is that Christ should be followed. Christ should be sought after and Christ should be obeyed. And they were calling people to a place and to people that sincerely wanted to follow Jesus and to be led by his spirit. And so Sister Burdick went door to door, basically with these tracks and this message. Hey, we're, God's going to raise up leaders and we're calling people to come to this church that believes that people can be led by the spirit of God to follow and obey God. And not just form a social club or a, um, a group of people, but a group of people that are sincerely after the heart of God. And so she decided to move all the way up from Moundsville, West Virginia to Akron, Ohio. She decided to leave Appalachia with many of the people that were leaving at that time. Some of you, uh, it's interesting being here, hearing the roots of where your grandparents came from. Many of them came up from West Virginia during this time, leaving the coal mines for the booming oil industry, and she followed them. And I just imagine the faith that this must have taken for this woman. I mean, imagine this. It, it, it really is, at this point in time, especially a man's world. And this lady believes that she is called by God to come here. And so I, I often like, like how you, you, you got to have kind of this imagination, like this spiritual imagination. Even when you read the Bible, trying to figure out what's going on here, you're listening to the stories because we don't have this whole story anymore. But I imagine her down in West Virginia, and God is saying, my people from West Virginia, they're moving up to Akron, and they're going to need a church, and 
she's saying, yeah, God, I, I think they are. And he's saying, um, God then I, I think would maybe tell her, like, I, I think I'm going to start a church and I'm starting it right now. And she said, would say, like, well, yeah, maybe I should join that church. And God maybe told her, no, you're not going to join it. You're going to start it. Well, God, we need a pastor. I'll take care of that. Well, am I going to have help? I'll take care of that. Okay, I'll go. She moved up here and she went door to door. She eventually had a team of people going door to door, handing out these tracts. And she must have felt overwhelmed and underqualified, but she did it because she was called by God to do it. For 10 years, they met in homes, they met on the street corner, they met in storefronts. Occasionally, they would have a pastor that would come up from Canton and he would preach and teach for periods of time. But it wasn't until 1906 until they got a full-time minister and they'd move into a little building on 2nd Street and they had enough people to uh, do that in 1910 after this pastor had been there for about a year. They continued to grow. They outgrew their little place on 2nd Street and eventually uh, they bought some property on McKinley Avenue and decided to build a building on McKinley Avenue here in Akron in the Firestone area. They laid the cornerstone in 1924. By 1926, uh, they had raised the funds and they had built the building to be able to move in and have their worship first worship service there. In that building, some of my favorite stories to hear about those people who attended that place at that time was that when the Great Depression hit, they started to feed all the families in uh, the, the community. And around 1931, I, I think from what I understand, the bank called their note and they were having trouble making payments already. And so what they encouraged the people to do, they said, hey, you have to start giving, you have to start tithing, we are feeding the neighborhood, we're doing all this. Some people came to the pastor and they came to the church and they said they took out second mortgages on their home so that they could keep the church operating during the Great Depression so that they could feed the neighborhood. And I think when we think about Joanne's Pantry and some of our other ministries that we have here today, like those, hearing that type of story and hearing what they did then kind of lays the groundwork for some of the ministry that we do now and some of the food deserts here in Akron and some of the people who need to be fed here in Akron as we feed about 200 to 500 families every month ourselves with that ministry. So out of that church, as it continued through the Great Depression, five local churches were planted out of that McKinley Avenue church. Five churches. And so what that means or what that tells me is that these people were serious about advancing the kingdom of God and raising up young leaders and listening to the call of God in their own lives. Individuals that they've moved throughout the Akron area, as they saw the Akron area growing, what they did is they began to plant churches so that people would have places to go and have places to worship. In 1972, we ended up here in Talmadge. The congregation moved here to Talmadge. Now, I've asked during this sermon for a number of people to come share and just talk about uh, our yesterday and, um, and then today here in a few minutes. But I'm going to ask first that you watch this video, uh, Pat Walcott. This is a video of Pat Walcott. She's unable to be here today. She's down in Georgia, and um, she has just a testimony to share. And then I'm going to ask if uh, Ruthie Trudeau, if you come up here and 
sit right here. And after the video is done, I'm going to ask that you would share uh, a little bit about our history. And so go and watch the video. Hi, First Church family. Pat Walcott here. My grandma, Dora Blevins, started going to this church on 2nd Avenue around 1919. Her and my mother, Lou Callahan, cooked for the workers who built the McKinley Avenue Church in 1926. I arrived in 1933, and at two weeks old, my mother brought me to church, and I've been coming ever since. Reverend F.G. Smith was our pastor. We had a big congregation, four or 500 people, and every Sunday there would be a big altar call. Reverend Smith would come down off the platform, carrying his hymnal, and singing in his big, deep bass voice, Oh, why not tonight, not tonight. If he thought you needed to be saved, he would come over to you. And even me and Wilda, who were five and eight years old, even was scared he would come after us. And several of the kind of on the wild side young men thought they, he was coming after them and they would jump over the seats and run out the front door. Every summer, we would have a two-week Bible school, a wonderful Bible school, and hundreds of us kids, neighbor kids and church kids from all over would uh, line up in front of the church and one kid would have the honor of carrying the Christian flag and we would all march in the church singing onward Christian soldiers. We'd sing it loud and proud. I can still feel that wonderful feeling. I love this church and have 87 years of wonderful memories. Glad to hear you. Most of you, can you hear me? Okay. Most of you <clears throat> wouldn't have known my parents because they were here in the 40s, 50s, and early 60s. But my parents were part of the history of this church, so I'll tell you a story about my dad. My father, Noah Fisk, F-I-S-K, was born in 1903, one of seven children. He had no religious upbringing and lived a pretty rough life. His mother read the Bible and prayed, but the family didn't attend any regular services. The family lived in a rough section of Cumberland, Maryland, and he told us he had to fight to exist. <clears throat> he and one of his brothers hitched and hiked all over working odd jobs, some of which were in a cotton gin, a glass factory, a silk mill, he worked as a dishwasher, and in an auto service factory and on the Oakland Dam in Pennsylvania. Uh, the jobs were easy to get then, but they didn't pay much, I guess. At one of his odd jobs, his boss knew that he needed some extra money and asked him if he had ever boxed. He hadn't, but his boss said he looked pretty husky and he told him he could earn a few extra bucks if he would box. So his fight to exist background was an asset. His first boxing match, he knocked the guy out and was paid 
25 silver dollars. <laughs> In those days, that was, you know. He boxed many more fights after that. He didn't win them all, but he won most of them. After his boxing days, he and his brother started wandering around again, and when he was 22, they both joined the Army and were sent to Fort Douglas at Salt Lake City, Utah. There he played the drums in the drum and bugle corps, and he had guaranteed food and lodging for a few years. After the Army, he and his brother drifted around looking for work again. He was looking for roofing work because that's what his dad did. He got an old car and strapped ladders on the side of it and went searching for roofing jobs. He was still single when one of his brothers invited him to church at the Ashland, Ohio Church of God, and members of the congregation prayed for him to give up his life of drinking and gambling, and they gave him a New Testament. One day, depressed and looking for work, he sat down on a curb and took the testament out of his pocket, and it opened up to Psalms 37, 3, and 4, which reads, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. <clears throat> Delight thyself also in the Lord, <clears throat> and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. These words really uplifted him because he was seriously thinking about shipping out on an ocean liner for Hong Kong, China. That really happened. <laughs> One night when he was trying to sleep, the thought came to him to get right with God. The thought came out of the blue and it troubled him. He kneeled down to pray and asked the Lord to save him. He got up off his knees and whispered to the Lord, if, if I am saved, Show me in some way. He laid down on the bed for a long time meditating and then opened his eyes and on the bedroom wall he saw a dazzling white angel. And it scared him. So he closed his eyes and then he opened them again and it was gone. It was then that he decided to begin a new life. He met and married my mother, and they had five children. I'm number four. Our family moved to Akron in 1946 when I was six years old. Do the math, I'm 81. <laughs> that was the year our family started in McKinley Avenue Church of God. It was the same year that Elmer Rich became the pastor. Both of my parents were very active in the church, teaching Sunday school and holding other positions. But my father had a burden and a vision. The area where we lived didn't have any churches close by. His vision was to start a mission Sunday school which would meet in the Mickey Bright grade school. The school would charge $20 for two hours each Sunday. He enticed the children in with milk and donuts and hoped they would invite their parents. The McKinley Avenue Church thought it was a great outreach idea, and nine members volunteered to be teachers or helpers. And two of my Sunday school friends, Joanne Morgan Bartholomew and Sonia Gustafson in Ledford, and I would team up for piano, them, and soloist me for part of the service. The Mission Sunday School had an average attendance of 78 and endured for several years 
and my father has had some of the children as adults tell him how it got them started on the right path. By the way, I have a brochure here about the um, Mission Sunday School that shows all the classrooms and the children if anybody wants to see it. Um, but I think the reason that he felt so strongly to get unchurched children to at least Sunday school because it's something he never had the opportunity to do. And they influenced me. They taught Sunday school and I ended up teaching Sunday school for years too. And after about 15 years at McKinley Avenue, they brought some property in Massillon and moved there and started going to the Massillon Church of God. And, and that's where my husband and Roger and I got married. To me, my father was a remarkable man who came from humble beginnings and years later in life, his roofing background blossomed into him being a professional steeplejack, owning his own business and our family lived very comfortably. He was a self-made man. One of his jobs was gold leafing the two crosses on St. Bernard's Church. He actually brought those crosses home and they gold leafed them in our basement. My mother helped him. Once he became a Christian, he was true and faithful to the end, and through his witnessing, brought many sheep into the fold. Thank you, Ruthie. And uh, Pat, we appreciate those testimonies. I want us to hear about what God has done in the past, because God is the same yesterday as he is today. And God is still alive and active today. And before I kind of have our today people to come up. I just want to show you this passage here. And this is Jesus, by the way, because you think like, how is God, what is, what is Jesus doing today? How does he act today? What does he do today? Because I don't see him. Like, here it is. In fact, it is best for you that I go away. He's talking to his disciples here because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. There is, no, there is so much more that I want to tell you, but I can't bear it right now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. Who has he heard it from? He's heard it from Jesus Christ. He will tell you about the future. And so I want us to think about this here, is that the spirit of God is speaking on Jesus' behalf. And he's speaking when? He's speaking now. When God is calling you or he's giving you a vision to either come follow his son Jesus or to start doing something because you desire to follow Jesus in a particular thing. You desire to practice what it looks like to live out a Christian and to serve in a particular way. What that is, or who that is, I should say, is the spirit of God, the spirit of truth. Now, we often think of truth just as knowledge. Like, I know something to be true, which actually is very important. I, I, I'm, like, I, have, I have a lot of respect for the anybody who wants to call people to orthodoxy. I think we're losing it in the church. However, that's not the only thing that Jesus is talking about here. When we're talking about the truth, when Jesus talks about the truth, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And the truth is then sandwiches, sandwiched between the way and the life. Well, the truth has to do with the way you live and the life that you have. And so God is still active right now through the ways that we are responding to Jesus Christ through the lives that we have. And I want you to hear from a few people who are some of who are very good leaders in our church, the way that God has worked maybe in their past. And now you just get to see them because they, these are some of the people who are leading us into the future. And so this is some of our today people. So would our today people come forward and we want to hear from you this morning and how God has been working in 
your life here. And so um, we have three testimonies here, one from Debbie, one from Retha, and then the Fallons will follow. Good morning. Um, most of you know that I, I've shared my uh, testimony somewhat previously, but I, I did, was not raised in a Christian home. I didn't have anything to do with church or didn't know anything about the Lord. And I had a friend, Karen Akers, who um, her grandmother was part of the uh, McKinley Avenue Church of God. So she had, was third generation Church of God. Her mother was carried in as a baby. Karen was carried in as a baby. And we were friends, um, good friends, until uh, after high school. And then that's when I fell off the cliff. My, my 20s were terrible. I was just one big hot mess in my 20s. It was, it was awful. So Karen continued to pray for me and to ask me to come to church, and I didn't want any part of it. No thank you. I was out there having what I perceived to be fun, but I was lost, and I was a mess. And uh, it made so many bad decisions. It really wasn't outside of the grace of God. I don't even know how I lived. So uh, when I became pregnant with my son, an unwed mom, Karen again invited me to this church, and I knew that I had to change my life. I now had a son to raise. I couldn't I had to change. So I accepted her invitation to come to church. Really worried about what, coming in through those doors because I'm an unwed mom. I have a baby. I'm not married. Uh, church people, I don't know anything about church people. You know, what are they going to be like? I was a little scared of church people. You, you, know, you know, if you're not church, you don't know what to expect. It's, it's the truth. So I remember saints of the church, um, Evelyn, um, Evelyn Johnson. No, not Johnson. Violet, I can't think of her. Riffle, sorry, Riffle. Yeah, uh, and Joanne Bartholomew. She would invite me and my son to her house for for lunch, which I thought, wow, they're not only are they accepting me, they're they're befriending me. They're they're friendly to me. So um, I share that to to preface that I began to trust the Lord and trust, you know, the, his people. And when my son was about, when he was born, uh, I, be, I became baptized. Of course, it was up there then. It, we had orange uh, chairs, and who cares about that? But anyway, it was oriented that way. And uh, one wonderful um, sunrise Easter service, I was baptized with my son watching me. Now, let me preface by saying that when uh, I knew I was going to have this baby. I began working overtime a lot, as much overtime as I could possibly work, because I was offered an enhanced leave of absence from the phone company. Uh, they wouldn't pay me, but I would keep my benefits. So I took a six month, I knew I was going to be taking six months off work. And I planned for that. I figured out what I would need. I had a budget. I was trying to be better with money. Um, and I saved and saved and saved and saved. And so began my, my um, six months off. And things were going well, but there were a few unexpected expenses that happened. And I found myself two weeks from going back to work, so that meant two weeks before I got an actual paycheck, so a month before I would get paid. And I was pretty much out of money. I didn't have anything left. And uh, I figured out exactly what my bills were. I knew that I needed $1,000. And it was, I was pretty specific. Actually, it was $990-some dollars, but let's make it 1000 so I hadn't really uh, prayed much myself. You know, I, w I was enjoying the benefits of Karen's prayers, and I'd seen th the people of God pray in this church, and I'd seen him work. So I thought, I'm not going to ask for any help. I'm not going to ask my parents. I'm not going to try and take out a loan. I'm not going to charge anything. I'm just going to give this need to God and 
I thought maybe, you know, I, I mean, it seemed unbelievable to me that God would somehow give me $1,000. But that's what I did. I prayed. I did not tell a soul. You have to believe me here. Not a soul. Karen didn't know. Nobody knew. There had been a man at the church, um, and uh, he would occasionally have my son and I over for dinner, and I would occasionally have him over. It was strictly a, you know, a friendship kind of relationship. And uh, occasionally we went out for ice cream, things like that. Well, one uh, evening, I was leaving, my son and I were leaving his house. We had had dinner, and he was wearing a sport coat. He always did that. And he took out this envelope, and he said, Debbie, this is for you. This really isn't from me. Uh, the Lord laid it on my heart to give this to you. Don't open it now. This is for you, and you can pass it along some other time in your life when you're, you know, you're in a position. But this, this is not my doing. It's from the Lord. So he leaves, and I waited about one and, a hot, one and a half hot seconds right before I opened it up. And in that envelope were 10 $100 bills. Now, that was a thank you Jesus moment for me. He provided exactly what I needed in a way that was clearly a Holy Spirit moment. This gentleman did not know my need. I'd never, I'd never expressed my need. But the Lord knew and the Lord provided. And that's what I see in this church and that's what I see. Uh, the Lord was working then. He's still working. Our prayers work. The power of prayer is powerful. Hello. Um, I'm looking at my watch thinking, now how am I going to boil this down to just a couple minutes? <laughs> Um, Charlie and I started coming to this church when we lived in Orville, so you can calculate that drive time. Um, we moved to Akron to do neighborhood ministry, um, started doing what we could. We were able to get involved here at the church in, in one of their small groups, and that small group um, introduced us to Emmaus, which is um, an organization that does like a, a weekend kind of um, short course in Christianity kind of thing. And, and so we both went to that, um, got very involved in it. As a matter of fact, Charlie's now um, leading um, a team. He will be actually the leader of one of these weekends coming up in October. Um, so, you know, we've been very active involved in that. Uh, Ruby Myers introduced me to Kairos, um, which I resisted for a long time. She's, she's very involved. And, and kept saying, oh, you should, you should, you should. And I kept saying, nah, maybe later, maybe later. Um, finally, she says, I'm going to be the leader, and you are going to be on my team. And so I said, okay. And so um, that got me involved in Cairo. Since then, I've been to, I've lost count how many Cairo's teams I've been on, which is a sort of like Emmaus. It's a, th a three-day type weekend, but it's done in prisons. It is for the prisoners. So I was involved with the ladies' prisons, and uh, we did those weekends for them. Um, let's see. The other thing that I guess, I mean, there's, there's huge, long stories involved with all of this. So if you're interested, just let me know. <laughs> but, you know, I don't think we want to push our lunch back until supper time, so <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Um, the, uh, the neighborhood ministry that we wanted to get involved in um, blossomed and bloomed. We never really knew what we were going to do, but we moved to Akron 
um, bought a house on the corner of Lover's Lane and Brown Street. If, if you're familiar, that's kind of a depressed area. Um, not knowing what we were going to do with it, we counseled with p different people. They said, oh, well, it may take a few years to really get established. Well, we've been there now for nine years, something like that. And um, the things that have gotten established was um, we were able to, we started doing a clothing giveaway, which was sponsored also by here by the church because the, the annual yard sale that they had, stuff that was left over, we would take. And we did a, a giveaway from that out of our, the area around our house. We had, our house has an awning on it. And so we put things out there and the neighborhood people would come and get that. And, but every time we were done with it, then we had to, whatever was left, bag up and donate to somebody because we did not have space to save things. Um, it came to pass that the house right next door to us came up for sale. And I spoke with the owner about, you know, well, you know, what, what are you doing with it? You know, what would be possibilities? And he immediately said, why are you interested in buying it? And I thought, well, let me go check with Charlie, you know. And we talked about it and talked what we could do with it if we had it. And the idea of, well, you know, we could, we could use it for storing the clothes. We also maybe could do a food pantry. So I got in touch with the Joanne Pantry um, folks. And, of course, they were right there to say, yes, you need to do this in your neighborhood. We'll help you with it. Um, so we were able to buy the house way below market value because I shared with the gentleman what we wanted to do with it. Of course, renters had just moved out of it, and if you've ever dealt with renters, you know there's a lot of repair that needs to be done. There were broken windows and holes in the walls and you know, really horrendous carpet and all that kind of stuff. Um, he and his wife were over there every day until closing. They repaired all the windows. They painted the house top and bottom. They pulled out all the nasty carpet. I found out that the house had actually been her grandparents' house, and she, knew, knowing what we were going to do with it, wanted the house spotless and immaculate when they gave it to us. So we were able to buy the house. Um, we have now, as part of our neighborhood ministry, we have our house next to us, which um, this October, we'll be doing our first clothing giveaway since COVID again. We had to part that, but we were doing spring and fall with that. Um, we have our, a food pantry in the house next to us. The second and third floor of that house is a closed closet where people can come and get things that they need. And we also are blessed with a community garden, which is or was owned by the same people that we bought our house from. Um, knowing that I had had a dream to do a community garden, after several years, they basically donated a double plot of land that had never had anything built on it to us. All we had to do was pay the transfer fees for the title of the property. So um, that's part of our neighborhood ministry that we have going now. And we are so blessed. And like I said, there's, there's huge long stories involved with all of this. So if you're interested in any of it, just let me know. I'm more than happy to spill my guts to you. <laughs> um, God is great, and he has blessed us beyond measure.
Well, when Pastor Josh called me this past week and said, you know, he said, Eric, I'd like you to come up and give the testimony that you provided Linda for the 125 years celebration. He said, or if you want to, you can also have Kim come up with you and you can give it together. He said, would you be willing to do that? I had the 20 seconds of internal dialogue of, can you tell a pastor no? Is that a thing? I wasn't (laughs) sure. So I said yes and then got off the phone, sent Kim a text, just got off the phone with Pastor Josh. He wants you to give our testimony this weekend. And I said, you'd be thrilled. Um, I didn't do that. I wanted to, but I didn't do that. I will admit when Kim and I talked about it, it was very we and us. I kind of glazed right over that. Well, I could just give it myself, but I didn't do that. So So when Linda asked for people to write a testimony for our church's anniversary, I knew that our family had stories of God's working in our lives through First Church of God. Our church has always been about the relationships and the people that God has put in our lives. None more important to us than Pastor Doug. PD, as he's affectionately referred to in the Fallon household, has become such an important part in our family. I knew this would happen. I I choked up two weeks ago talking about gathering grounds. um, While our boys have grown up in the youth group, Doug is not only a friend to us outside of church, but he's become a role model for both Wade and Landon. As Wade has gotten older, I know that Wade considers Doug a friend, not just his pastor. And especially um, this big moment in our lives as Wade graduated school and went away to college. So on top of that, he decided to do it during a global pandemic. Um, So I know Doug went above and beyond, not just for Wade, but all the seniors last year in spring of 2020, making sure they had a, a graduation celebration that they could remember with the beautiful baccalaureate that we had out here in the parking lot on that great summer's day that I know has become just such a cherished memory for us and our family. Um, Doug is one of those that will, he's there when you need him. He's always there for you, pray for you, talk to you, share a laugh or two. Um, And in particular, Doug played an important part once again in Wade's life is that first semester at the University of Toledo, struggling to make friends during a school where they were basically locked down, classes were online, all social activities were shut down. Wade basically spent almost all day locked in his dorm room, very rarely getting to go out. Um, Doug took time out of his schedule. I think I'm gonna do better. Doug took time off and went up to visit Wade. He took Wade to a church in Toledo. They went camping and and Doug introduced Wade to some people that now became part of Wade's social circle up at Toledo. He finally is active in a church and he has fun and he's having fun in college now. And we know that that happened because of the intervention of God working through Pastor Doug that that all happened. I'm sure that being a youth pastor is challenging. Oh, if you've ever been to the youth right now, a lot of middle school kids, I don't know how Doug does it. And I'm sure, Doug, you wonder if you're making a difference. But please know that even if you don't think the kids are listening to you, they are. You are making a difference. Kids are listening. And please know that you are loved. So our testimony of God working in our lives, in the lives of the Fallon family, much as it has in many of the lives, especially those with children and youth that have come up through this Mm -hmm. church, has always been about putting just the right person in your life at just the right time. And we will always thank God for putting Pastor Doug in our life.
passage out of John is, I wanted to end with this, that he will tell you the future. And the principle there that I just want to remind you of is that God is the God of the future, and he knows what he is up to in the future, although we don't. God is still in the business of calling people to come and follow him, to be faithful to him. And as I think about everything that we've heard here, um, and we think about being 125 years old, like, I, I can't guarantee we'll make it to 150 or to 200 years old or anything like that because here's the thing, like congregations live and they die, but the church remains forever. And so here's a question I think for us all as we kind of wrap this thing up is, so what determines what congregations continue to go on and what congregations don't? And I'm going to say something that just will challenge you here. And I think it's this, is because there are times when particular congregations have people who are willing to respond to God. And there are congregations where people no longer are willing to grow or respond to God. What we've heard today are a bunch of testimonies about people who have responded to God in a number of ways, whether it be life changes. We think about Ruthie's dad then to go and start a ministry, Pastor Doug's ministry. He responded to God years ago, and God is still using him. The man who gave Debbie $1,000 was responding to God, and Debbie has continued to respond to God throughout her life. And so I just want us to, to stop here and think about as we continue to celebrate 125 years and into the future and just ask ourselves, what is God calling us to do? What is God calling you to do? I, I want to end here. I said the, this leadership part wasn't on here, but it says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the examples of their faith. And so leaders, first and foremost, I want to challenge you. I want to end by challenging you. What is God calling you to be faithful in so that we have a brighter tomorrow or that will take us into the future? What is he calling you to do? And then those of you who don't see yourself as leaders, you can become one. <laughs> right? Just respond to God. What is he calling you to do? How is he calling you to lead? How might people look at your life 50 years from now, five years from now or whatever and say, hey, I want to be like that person because they followed the Lord. And I really think that's what a healthy church looks like. So we can continue to hear these types of testimonies that we have heard today. So here's just what I want to end with. He is still a God who changes lives and calls people to their neighbors to ask them to join a church, just like Sister Burdick did. He still calls men to minister to children, just like Ruthie's father. He still calls people to provide for a single mom. He still calls people to start and join neighborhood ministries. And this church is a church where God still calls people so others can see and experience Jesus Christ. So let us pray and live with expectation that God can do more and that God can continue to move. He's going to do miracles in people's lives if we are faithful to him and respond by his spirit. And so may he move and do a miracle in your life and in this place. Let us receive God's word as we move forward and let the tr truth set us free and let it transform us. Let us consider those who have gone before us 
and let's imitate them as they have imitated Christ. Let us ask God to make us the kind of leaders and the kind of people who others would like to, to imitate as we follow Christ. And let us all who have a vision, let us all have a vision for what God wants to do in our lives because God is at work forever. Let me pray. Father, this morning we come to you and I, I know we've heard a lot of testimonies and we've heard a lot about how you've worked in other people's lives and we pray, Father, that you would work in our own. As we look at the past, we know that you're a God who works now. And I'm gonna ask that we just take these next few moments um, before we go eat and um, just kind of quietly pray and seek your will. What are you calling us to? What ministry may be in the church or outside of the church are you calling us to? What vision have you given us to ensure that the people of God continue to walk forward with a God that is a forever God? How might we be guided by your spirit in this, Lord? Speak to us. Walk with us. As in Christ's name we pray, amen.